You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to the conservative conscience here at snowy conservative reviews, Northern command. And it is Wednesday, February 20th. We are back in the house. I am sorry. Yesterday. I really wanted to get out of show. It was so busy dealing with media, the blowback from the budget deal and everything. I really apologize. We also had technical issues on our last show. So it took me a while to get it out. A lot of you probably didn't even hear it till yesterday. So kind of consider that yesterday's show. We're falling behind on a lot of things. The Supreme Court session is really heating up. A lot of very telling news coming out of John Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh demonstrating once again that we were right, that we focused all on nonsense and never bothered to vet who Kavanaugh really was jurisprudentially. And really, that is the body of government that matters. No other body of government matters because we have a shutdown. And speaking of a shutdown, we're going to have a really special guest on today's show, a unique guest that you're not going to hear um, on these cool cable shows that focus on, on nonsense, but we bring you the truth of what is going on with the border crisis in real terms and why it matters. So today in Washington, where I'm from, 50 miles north, everything's shut down. There's a couple inches of snow. Uh, we have a government shutdown today <laughs> that uh, nobody noticed, but it is a government shutdown because here on the East Coast, you know, we like our stuff and we can't handle... A ruggedness very well, and a couple of inches shuts down uh, governments, it shuts down schools, and really uh, places of employment as well. But you see, there's parts of the country where we have pretty rugged men in the tradition of our frontiersmen who founded our frontier after the colonies in the 1700s, uh, people that are self-reliant, rugged individualists, don't ask for much from government, don't need the smorgasbord of alphabet soup government agencies to hold their hands, and don't complain when we have a fake government shutdown. But there is a real government shutdown of one key core component of why we have particularly a national federal government, and that is protecting people from external threats. Just like in the time of our founding, they viewed the role of the federal government, which is why the Articles of Confederation era government was insufficient to deal with and combat external invasions. Back then, it was Indian raids on the frontier, but they were also concerned about European powers um, trying to sh- strangle this nation, nascent uh, nation, budding nation, uh, while it was still weak. And that's why we have a federal government, to protect us from what counties and states cannot do threats that threaten the entire whole of the union. Yet, in the ultimate breach of the social contract, we've talked about Hidalgo County, New Mexico as really ground zero for what we've seen the past year, intensifying the last four to six months with thousands upon thousands of Central Americans being brought in here by the most brutal Mexican cartels 
bringing in drugs, bringing in gangs, bringing in criminals, and then even the ones that aren't, but the fiscal strain, the cultural strain, all of the problems that these counties have to deal with, and then ultimately, truth be told, we all have to deal with it in the end because they come east as well. That is the one thing that ranchers in these border counties ask from our federal government, that they actually do their job and actually protect them against this invasion and all of its cascading effects. And yet that is the one thing government will not do. So I wanted to bring to you a special voice today. I figured with all of our coverage of the border in general, Hidalgo County, New Mexico in particular, we have our fourth article out yesterday um, with my informal interview of Joel Edwards. He is a county commissioner in Hidalgo County. Today, I figured I would bring you his voice live. Something very special to hear. You know, not one of these East Coast sort of politicians. This is not exactly a politician. Joel Edwards is a lifelong agriculture teacher, lived in New Mexico his entire life, lived uh, for most of his life in, in the Southwest part, very rugged uh, area. And now he has a taxidermy business. So, you know, again, not the type of thing you see on the East Coast, people that are self-reliant, work with their hands. And then on the side, unlike some East Coast counties where it's a full-time job, he is a one of the three county commissioners who um, oversee the governmental affairs, both legislative and executive, of this small county in terms of people, just a couple thousand people, but a huge, huge landmass, probably about eight to 10 times larger than my county, Baltimore County here. And I figured we'd get him in to give a first-person account of what his constituents are dealing with and what we could do about it. Hey, Joel, it's truly an honor to welcome you for the first time to Conservative Conscience. How are you back in New Mexico? Well, first of all, I thank you for having me. Uh, we woke up to a real cold morning here uh, today, too, so uh, we can suffer the cold right along with you. Yep, and, and, and you guys don't shirk from, from weather and, and harsh uh, climate too much. But um, if you could just start off before we get to the border and immigration, if you could just give us a, a little bit of a primer on what Hidalgo County is like, the people, the government, what you do in the government, and then kind of, you know, then we'll segue into the immigration problems. Well, first of all, as you shared with your folks earlier, it is a, a large county geographically uh, with several small settlements, and, and uh, the county seat is Lordsburg, which is composed of about <clears throat> 2,500 people. And we have the small community of Animus, uh, another small community of Verdon, some real small communities like Verdon, I mean like uh, Hachita, but uh, basically these are rural kind of people. Even the people that live in town are more or less rural. We have uh, a lot of people uh, are employed by the copper mining industry. Uh, these are people that <clears throat> are not your normal city type people, but these are people, like you said, that that work with their hands and they work out in the elements and they're not used to, you know, complaining about stuff. Uh, so when you hear them complain about border conditions and stuff, well, uh, you know they're really talking about something that's real with them. No, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, if I uh, 
get a snake wandering onto my lawn, which I never do, obviously, I, I would certainly be the first one to call county officials, uh, whatever office deals with it, to get rid of it. Uh, these strike me as the type of people that would, you know, remove the snake with their hands. And, you know, they don't they don't need too many services. Um, just, you know, what you guys have in your county, um, four sheriff's deputies, a seven-man EMS team, uh, you don't even have any hospital in the entire county, just a, a small clinic. And that's enough for, for your people. And they're willing to live with that. And they love their way of life. But now describe to us what happens when um, over the course of, what is it, four and a half months now, according to CBP, there's been over 60 groups of 100 or more coming in at once, you know, groups of 100, 200, 300 on our entire southwest border, roughly half of them are coming in in this, you know, very small county in terms of population and services. What sort of effects have you seen qualitatively the last number of months that 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 are unique to your time there near the border? Well, first of all, it causes a strain on on our budget because, as I said, you know, we're we're small population wise. We have a small budget. Uh, we have to do everything, uh, that we're going to do out of that meager little budget. And excuse me, just a minute here. Sure. No, 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 no problem there. I mean, so you're, you're saying you have a small budget because obviously it's not just a small number of people. You don't really have a Walmart. You don't have department stores there, right? Well, whenever one of the big uh, mining smelters shut down in our county, uh, it took a lot of the revenue that we were used to having. So, like I said, we don't have any big business here to bring in tax revenue. Uh, And so it's noticeable when we have these strains on our economy here. Uh, The first... uh, well, one of the most important things for our county and one of the my primary jobs is uh, to look at the area of road maintenance. And road maintenance is a very costly item. And with all this uh, increase in the migrant population and with the Border Patrol activity, uh, they're up and down our dirt roads all the time, especially in the border area. And it just wears them out and some of them are worn down to actually the bedrock and we need base material uh, to build those up to where they could be properly maintained and that's a costly item because in that remote area that stuff have to be uh, the materials have to be hauled in as well as the water uh, to prepare the roadbed and so uh, that's our first dilemma, is money for the road maintenance. Uh, we feel like that since the Border Patrol is the primary user of these roads in the border country, uh, they should help with the maintenance uh, that the Border Patrol wears out, you know, the roads that they wear out. You you know that that's I I want to just stop at that first point because there's a lot more to say. You brought up something that I haven't spoken to my audience about much, and that's something that a lot of us wouldn't even think about. You have in a lot of more populous counties where they're always begging the federal government for stuff. They always want you know federal funds to build things that are clearly only local in nature. 
I'm always complaining. But you're saying in your county, you know, again, I mean, you're you're okay with the dirt roads. You're okay with what you have for your people. But being on the international border, and that doesn't make you guys, you know, more um, responsible for the border. Because, again, that's why we have a federal government. Uh, Until recently, my understanding is there's basically been one CBP agent at that Antelope Wells checkpoint, average of four to seven cars coming there a day, it was pretty quiet. Now with thousands of people coming in, you you have the stepped up Border Patrol presence. So you're saying that's wearing down the the roads. Yes. Wow. So that's the, that that that's number one. So just just road maintenance. And again, you know, you guys don't have uh, you know corporate headquarters and a large tax base to deal with that. Um, and you're not getting reimbursed by the feds. No, we don't get reimbursed for that road maintenance on those uh, border country roads. Wow. So so that, that right away, most people wouldn't have thought of that. That that's that's a cascading effect of the legal immigration. That's that's correct, and so that's one of our primary things. So uh, we're looking at needing at least a half million dollars, which is a lot for us, uh, just to take care of, you know, in the south end of the county that are primarily the ones used for the border patrol. And so that's that's one of my primary concerns, and that's even more important to me than than some of these health issues and other things that you uh, said you have on the the uh, program today. For sure. And be- before getting back to those, I really want to discuss some um, security. You know, you told me in in our first interview that. Um, you know, as a county commissioner, your number one job is to maintain the quality of life for your citizens, your residents, make sure that they feel safe, um, you know, from criminal elements. You don't you're, you're the type of county that doesn't naturally have a lot of internal crime from your own residents. So it was enough with four sheriff's deputies. I, I've seen a lot of reports openly from Border Patrol speaking to local media saying that when you have these groups of 300 at a time, it was almost every other day a couple of weeks ago, coming in, it ties down all the Border Patrol resources, and then the cartels could get in their criminal activity, not at the point of entry in Antelope Wells, all sorts of areas in in the county. Could you describe for our listeners what you're hearing from the ranchers with all this migration coming in, What's changed, and is this just at the border, or is this in the you know a problem in your entire county? Uh, it's a problem for the county, and what I hear from the residents is that these big groups of people that are coming in are pretty much a decoy uh, for the drug trafficking and other uh, human trafficking and stuff that's going on in the county. Uh, every time that that they have to be processed, you know, in these large groups in the Antelope Wells area, well, they see drugs coming across through these other main corridors. And we have, as what the ranchers tell me, there's three main drug corridors that they travel uh, in our, our part of the border. And that's the Alamo Waco area, 
the Animus Mountains and the Pelincel Mountains. And off of those three corridors, well, I think there's about 15 to uh, 20 main trails that they've identified that they come across rough terrain and, and bring these drugs into our our uh, county. And it's not just on the border that uh, safety is a problem. It's all the way to the interstate on I-10, which is the main interstate going through our county. It's a, It runs east and west, uh, goes from uh, California to out your direction. And these mules that bring the drugs in, the, they enter intercept the people that are going to be picking them up somewhere uh, in the area of the interstate. Uh, the roads that go from the interstate down south would be uh, Highway 80 and and uh, Highway uh, 330, and a lot of the illegal activity are along these roads. Uh, people that live in those areas have had, had these... Uh, Illegals break into their homes, uh, steal their vehicles, uh, steal horses, stuff like that. And <clears throat> there's just a feeling of of uh, concern uh, for the safety of their families and their children. Uh, we have one part of the county where we have four children that have to ride 75 miles on a school bus one way to get to school. And one of the concerns that really bothers us there is uh, another concern we didn't talk about at the top of the show, but uh, the biggest part of our county has no cell phone service. Uh, when you're down in the border area, you're about uh, an hour and a half away from uh, having cell phone service. So these kids go all the way to school and back and have no communication in case that uh, they have problems and there's a safety issue, even if the bus breaks down or something. Well, you know, they're pretty vulnerable. And so that's a concern. Uh, wow. wow. There, there's a lot to unpack there. So, again, for our listeners, as you're listening to this show, pull up a Google map. Look up Hidalgo, New Mexico. Don't mix it up with Hidalgo, Texas. That's another county in the news in the Rio Grande Valley there. Um, this is New Mexico, and the county doesn't just comprise the boot heel, the part that dips below um, the, the the latitude of the rest of New Mexico into you know where where Mexico is. It goes pretty far north, um, and you know so so just to clarify, Joel, you're describing that you know let's say you have ranchers living near Antelope Wells, right at the international border there, but to go to school in Animus there on Highway Nine. Um, you know, that that's a tremendous drive. There's a lot of cartel activity. There's no cell service. And, you know, again, this is rugged life. They're used to it. They're willing to make those sacrifices for the type of life they want to live. But, you know, when you add the element of external threats, that really, um, you know, obviously where, where I'm from, you know, more urban areas is a lot of crime. So you're concerned about that, but you have more communication. If you're in a rural area, you don't have that communication, but you have less crime. But now you have the international crime, which is a problem. But there's something that struck me that you said that I, I thought was really fascinating. So the media is out there denying the fact that 
that there's even a drug problem outside of the points of entry. Yeah, it's just in the vehicles at the points of entry. Now, what you're describing is not only are they coming in in the ranches, you know, and not at the points of entry, but you're telling me they go, they have 15 to 20 smuggling routes as far as Interstate 10. Again, you you, you live here, but I want our listeners to look at a map. It, well, what is that? Is that like 60, 70 miles north? That, that's deep into territory. Yeah, it's... Uh... Uh, I don't know exactly off the top of my head. I know uh, from I-10 down there to the border area, uh, it takes me an hour and a half to two hours driving time to get there. Uh, It's probably more time-wise than it is uh, mileage-wise. But still, that's a big big area that smugglers are... Having huge area. control, I you mean, know, it's a huge area, and and that's one of the problems that we have. You know, our border patrol works real hard, but the two sectors that are involved in in uh, uh, border enforcement in our area are the uh, Lordsburg sector and the Deming sector, and and they just need more people. You know, whenever. Uh, Texas cracked down and and they put up some barriers and and they have some pretty tight enforcement over there and Arizona uh, also has some tight enforcement so they funnel these people uh, to cross the border in New Mexico where it's so weak you know we have no border barrier to speak of we have some Norma defenses which will keep a vehicle uh, from driving across unless they ramp it and go over the ramp but the biggest part of our border is simply a uh, barbed wire fence. And in some cases, those aren't even very good. And there's no problem uh, with migrants crossing over these fences. So uh, they come through our country at will, you know, and, and the Border Patrol, they try their best to be able to uh, see them up, but they just they don't always get them. Uh, one of the needs that the ranchers tell me uh, that's of concern to them is we need a road that actually goes down the border uh, through the Roosevelt easement. You know, I don't know if you know what the Roosevelt easement is, but it's a uh, uh, 60 foot inside the border uh, that whenever they set this up, that uh, that's kind of a neutral area. Uh, But if we had a road going down the border itself, uh, the Border Patrol could patrol that. But basically, the Border Patrol, most of them are centered on the north side of Highway 9. And a lot of this activity happens between Highway 9 and the border. And so the ranchers feel like if they could head them off at the border before they ever got into uh, the biggest part of the county, you know, and where the residents are and stuff. Well, it would it would certainly uh, help our people. You know, it would certainly help, you know, on the security and the safety aspect of it if, if they could pick them up closer to the border. Uh, but for some reason, we don't have roads that go right down the border. And so... That's another concern. 
So, so what I'm seeing here, um, again, if you look at this map, and I encourage everyone to look at a map to really appreciate um, how this invasion is much more severe when it's in a county like Hidalgo as opposed to, let's say, more of an urban area in San Diego or El Paso um, or even in the Rio Grande Valley in Far East Texas, is that here, you know, you picture, okay, there's a border patrol station at the border. But the border here is Antelope Wells, and and really there was nothing there. Now they beefed up presence, but it's really just for the purpose of processing the migrants and serving as a bed and breakfast field hospital and transportation hub for them, not to patrol the criminal activity. Not that you know they don't want to, but that's mainly what their resources are doing. So you're telling me their main station is in Lordsburg on Highway 10. And you're saying maybe they'll patrol a little bit far down between Highway 9 and I-10. But, you know, again, when I'm looking here, that whole area is about 50, 60 miles north of the border. That's correct. Uh, Antelope Wells and uh, a couple of the other uh, small uh, border patrol facilities, those are called FOBs, which is uh, Forward Operating Base. And they just put small groups of border patrol uh, out there, uh, they rotate them on temporary basis because they're they're quite remote out there. Uh, but like you said, the biggest part of the employees are are more up closer to I ten, you know, out of the Lordsburg uh, base station. Just to take this to the next level, uh, Commissioner, I wanna I wanna talk about. It one of your constituents, um, what really shocked me, uh, there, there's this woman, Carrie Wade, who wrote a Facebook post a few days ago. And you, uh, clued me into the fact that this is one of your constituents living in the County. And I don't want to give away exactly where she lives, but what's shocking is, um, before I read this to our listeners, she is not right at the border. She is, you know, farther North, uh, so this That's is deeper correct. into territory. And she still says, you know, she was responding to people saying, where's the fire? What's the emergency? What's the big deal? And, and she was saying, the fire is finding dead bodies on your ranch. The fire is finding domestic pig ears in your drinkers when there isn't a domestic pig for 25 miles. The fire is waking up to unknown people talking in your attic. The fire is dogs barking all night when your closest neighbor is 7 to 25 miles, depending on the direction, to just uh, realize there are people outside in your barn. The fire is having to come home after dark and have to carry a rifle to go feed your livestock after Border Patrol tell you that only that they only caught nine of the 15 they are looking for. The fire is making a choice. Do I take my child with me to a dark barn to feed and hold the flashlight or lock him in the house? So you lock him in the house and call a friend to let them know he's home alone. And if they don't hear back from me to come check on us, the fire is you don't feel comfortable letting your child play outside without being an eye shot of them. The fire is having large drug busts on your ranch. The fire is feeling sick to your stomach. Every time the helicopter swirls your house because you know they are chasing people because you could hear them on the speaker talking to them. The fire is seeing the border patrol camera set up a half a mile from your house. The fire is coming home after dark. Your children are driving in front of you as one of as one is of age to drive. And there are officers on your road watching illegals a quarter mile from your house. And you have to call your children and tell them to keep driving. Don't stop the house. The fire is coming home to your back door wide open. The fire is real for me, my family and my community. Wow. Um, 
again, isn't that 40, 50 miles into the county <laughs> that she's saying that? It sure is. That's uh, and the area where she lives is is probably only 15 to 30 minutes from I-10. So you told me something. But very that's just an sure. example. She's just one of the many. Uh, there are a lot of people that have woke up, walked into their their house and have an illegal just standing in there. Uh, they have them come in uh, at all hours. You know, you never know when one of them's going to be in your house. And they usually don't speak English. And so, uh, you know, they just, they know enough to uh, try to get word to you what they want you to give them, you know, and people are, are scared, you know, used to uh, years back when illegals came across, they came across looking for work and they would ask you, you know, for food or for clothing or whatever help that they needed. But now instead of asking you, they pretty well order you. They demand it. Uh, <laughs> they come in demanding stuff. Uh, it's like our country has trained them that uh, we're the we're the land of opportunity, and and we owe them something whenever they come over here. And so they they come over uh, for all those benefits. But you know it's pretty scary for uh, a wife that her husband's probably out working on the ranch, and she has to stay there and and take care of the household and the small children. And she never knows when, when a group of these illegal people are going to come into her yard or going to come into her house, or you're going to encounter them in the barn. Uh, you just don't know. And they're scared to say very much about it, uh, because in some cases, uh, they have family members that are from across the border, and they have to go uh, back south across the border from time to time for visits and they're scared of what the cartel might do uh, if they talk too much or uh, if they tell people about some of these uh, problems and encounters and stuff. So I've had uh, lots of people down there that say that they're willing to talk to me about it, but they can't go on camera uh, talking about it because they don't want to endanger the lives of their family members, especially their children, you know, that have to go to school and and uh, they're out there have to uh, travel uh, long distances without any uh, communication or cell phone or anything. Uh, you have to understand where they're coming from. You know, it's kind of scary. And people don't talk about this on on the mainstream media. You know, you don't hear about that kind of stuff. Uh, they just kind of don't pay any attention to people down here. You know, and that's one of the things that's that's aggravating about it to us is, you know, we just we don't get any attention on it to make life better. Uh, we have uh, got the governor's attention a little bit and. We did get some temporary relief here recently uh, when she 
pulled all of the National Guard out. Well, she did give Hidalgo County the use of uh, six uh, state policemen uh, for 30 days. And so we do have six additional law enforcement officers as we speak that are uh, stationed in the southern part of the county to kind of help help the county deputies and, and help Border Patrol uh, with some of the problems. And we did get uh, to meet with the governor's uh, secretary for Homeland Security. Uh, she came down and, and looked at the problem of communication without any cell phone service and stuff. And, and we did get a promise that they're going to uh, try to get some repeater towers up in some of the mountainous area there to improve cell phone service in the area. So if that did happen, that would be, you know, a blessing for us because that'd be a huge improvement over anything that, that we have uh, got from them in the past. But I'm waiting to see it. Yeah, sure. And and, and even that, and, and, I, and I know you'll, you'll take anything you can get, but it's very much... Aside the point, I mean, you know, it would be nice to always have cell phone service, but uh, they've been dealing without it for a while. It's the aggravation of not having it while you're living in fear of unpatrolled areas and that, you know, they have six uh, New Mexico DPS folks. But, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't. I can't do the math offhand, but what is it, 4,000 square miles divided by six? I mean, you know, my, my question to you, isn't this something that really you need the military for that – while the border patrol is doing the immigration stuff and processing them and taking them on six mile, six hour circuits from Lordsburg to Deming to the hospital and back, and um, you know, then the ranchers are left exposed. That you would bring in the military for a certain period of time to secure those areas, as we would say, hey, this province north northeast of. Um, Kabul is unsecured from the Taliban. We need to secure it. I mean, that's what I'm not understanding, why there's no discussion of bringing in the military to secure the area for the ranchers. Well, when they had the the National Guard down here, uh, they can't actually take part in the drug activities and stuff that the Border Patrol uh, is responsible for. So, when the National Guard was here, they did such things as vehicle repair, clerical work, and stuff that they could do at the base station, uh, primarily in Lordsburg. Uh, and don't get me wrong, you know, that's all helpful. <laughs> but they weren't able to help out in the field, is what I'm sure. saying. Sure. So, so basically, we have a county that the people behave themselves. There's not a lot of crime. They don't have the money, nor do they need, you know, a hundred sheriff's deputies. Um, but we have an international invasion of brutal Sinaloa cartel traffickers traipsing through. You sent me the pictures, paramilitary gear. Um, the media loves talking about assault weapons, but somehow when it comes from external forces entering our country, traipsing on ranch land with such rifles... Um, the military cannot deal with that. 
Border Patrol is tied down. You guys, there's no way you could have enough money to have a police force for 5,000 people when you have to deal you know, with uh, the Sinaloa cartel alone. So they're basically, you're saying they're left stranded. They are scared to even, aren't, aren't they scared to even pursue some of what they're seeing on their property? Because like you said, they, they, they can't exactly call in a complaint because there's no cell phone reception. Well, some of them have landline phones that they could make calls, you know, uh, at their home. But, you know, when they're outside and stuff, well, they're away from a phone. But down here, a lot of people do take care of their own problems. You know, uh, guns are a big thing down here in our county. Uh, Everybody's got a few of them, you know, and they know how to use them because most of these uh, of our citizens are hunters. You know, uh, they engage in shooting sports and and hunting activities and stuff, and so it's a way of life with them. But they also uh, have guns for self-protection. And so there has been some cases that they've had to uh, run these uh, invaders out of their household or hold them at gunpoint until a Border Patrol officer can get there to pick them up. And that's a long ride often. (laughs) Long way. Well, it depends on where they have to come from, you know. Uh, like I said, there there are several of the forward operating bases that are out there, you know, uh, in the area that uh, some of the ranchers reside. You know, you were talking also about the medical situation. And yes, so yes. I did meet with some of the medical personnel just so I would have uh, accurate information on that to share with your listeners. And uh, several of the personnel came to our last county commission meeting and gave us a, a rundown of what they're seeing uh, as far as medical issues that these people bring into our country with them. And uh, the biggest part of the issues are uh, gastrointestinal and respiratory issues. Uh, they've seen a, a lot of flu. They've seen uh, tuberculosis. They've seen scabies and lice. Uh, they've seen chicken pox. Uh, they've seen lots of sprains and bruises and uh, fatigue, hydration. And they even had one case that was reported on some of the mainstream media as being a flesh-eating bacteria, and mm-hmm. I traced that down, and actually uh, that was a uh, an older chronic illness that that person had that came across. It was something that could not be transmitted to another person. Uh, it okay. was just a complication from a chronic illness instead of uh, an actual flesh-eating situation that mm-hmm. could be transmitted to another person. So uh, you can also get rumors started around, uh, you know, one person tells somebody else, and you know how it, it changes along the way. So I like to deal with the, with the issues exactly how they are and, and like for your audience to 
understand exactly what these medical issues are. That, that, no, and that, that's terrific. A, sometimes a, a simple issue can cause a big deal. Like uh, we had one uh, young man that they thought had a real problem, and it tied up a, an ambulance and an EMT uh, for probably uh, five hours to make the trip to a hospital and everything. And whenever they got there, uh, the extent of his injury was a slightly sprained ankle. Wow. And so sometimes you have have a lot of personnel tied up, and it's, it's not even a big thing. Uh, you know, they talk about, uh, wait, wait, wait can, can I just interrupt you for a minute? What I'm trying to uh-huh. figure out for your for our listeners to understand here, and obviously, as you said, tied up, you know, because the geography is so spread out. So again, every problem you have to deal with in your county that's a strain on your services, the geography is going to make it much worse than elsewhere because everything's going to be a long trip. It's going to take them that's off true. The, that's true. the field for longer to deal with potential emergencies among residents and taxpayers that deserve those services. Um, but I'm trying to figure out I, I know Border Patrol has been ramping up their um their personnel since this the fiscal year when we had all these groups coming in at Antelope Wells. But why why does that necessarily involve county officials? You're saying at the end of the day Border Patrol has to call upon once in a while your own EMS crew? It's not as common now as it was at the beginning. Uh, wow. You have to understand that we didn't have these large groups uh, back several months ago. Uh, this is a, a situation that occurred after Texas and Arizona kind of shut them off and funneled them our way, and we weren't prepared for these large groups. The Border Patrol wasn't prepared. They didn't have the the uh, facilities and the personnel to take care of it. So uh, a lot of it fell on our EMTs and stuff uh, to go down to uh, take the call, go down, pick them up, and get them to the closest hospital. And you have to understand the closest hospital uh, from Antelope Wells is uh, an hour and a half to two-hour trip at best. And so... uh, Voluntary uh, EMT personnel take off to go down there and transport these people, and uh, it gets pretty time-consuming at times. The Border Patrol and and federal agencies do re- reimburse us on the cost of it. Uh, they are slow on that. Uh, I think you visited with our the head of our emergency medical service, David Whipple. Sure. And and I think he indicated to you that uh, at last count, we'd only received about 40% of our reimbursement on the actual costs of involved in, in us uh, providing these services to them. Uh, and that's real I money. I mean, for for your county, uh, when you're talking about the tens of thousands of dollars, where in you know big counties like my own, you're not going to count anything in thousands, but thousands matter there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. But I don't know. It just, uh, it's irritating to the people that live here that it's turned into a political football instead of a real issue. Uh, for example, uh, I saw an article the last few days that pointed out the fact that uh, when Bill Richardson was our governor and I think 2005 or 2006, and he made a trip down and and checked some of this uh, some of the border issues down here, and he declared four of our border counties as emergency areas. Well, we're a lot worse than that today. Oh yeah, and our governor doesn't think we have a problem. You know, she doesn't think we have a crisis she thinks we have some small problems you know and like i said she sent down some temporary officers to you know shut people up for a little while but we need permanent fixes you know we need uh some real solutions to some real problems Uh, our residents should not have to get up every day and worry about the safety of their family just in order to to live and work down here in this area. That's really so, sad. That I'm just you know as you're saying that that's really sad to me because a lot of times there's trade-offs in life and you know you're more on your own in rural areas. There's limited services, but on the other hand, people like it because of they often move to areas like that because of the safety. They don't want the urban crime, and and it's just so sad that you're actually. It seems like the way to kind of put it here is you're getting the worst of all worlds. You're getting almost international urban style problems in a rural setting and all the challenges that's inherent in that. That's correct. You know, there's some beautiful country involved in this border country. Most of it is really uh, beautiful stuff. You know, it's kind of rough, but you know, you have some beautiful mountains with a lot of, uh, unusual vegetation uh, that people enjoy getting out there for hiking, bird watching, hunting, uh, just for the sheer pleasure of uh, getting away from uh, telephones and, you know, and TVs and modern conveniences worth once in a while just to, you know, relax a little bit. But that situation has changed you know, in recent years uh, to where it's it's not as relaxing anymore when you have to worry about the safety. Uh, For example, we have a little community uh, called Rodeo, which is down, I would say, about 50 miles from the border. It's between Interstate 10 and uh, Douglas, Arizona. And we had one of the... uh, uh, developers of one of your antivirus programs, uh, software that came down and, and, uh, he developed a lot of that country around there, built a big convention center and, and made a a lot of investments down there. And, And then this illegal immigration became such a problem that the value of those investments and 
and the popularity of of using uh, some of those recreational facilities and stuff has just dwindled because of the safety aspect being so close to the border and drug smuggling coming right through that area. So, you know, it again, it affects us economically there. Uh, there's some beautiful homes right down there on the border that, that you know, in, in a safe situation would be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars that, you know, you can buy for uh, low prices right now just because uh, people are scared to live there. And what does that tell you? You know, this is the United States. We're supposed to be uh, the best country in the world. You know, we're we're a free country. We... Uh, we're a free people. We have democracy, but we still have these little pockets of problems in, in counties like mine. And so that just, that bothers our residents. And, you know, when it bothers our residents and it affects them, well, it affects me because uh, my responsibility is the safety and well-being of the citizens of my county. And when I have to worry about issues like this, it's just it's very irritating. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, we really probably sad. Probably wouldn't even uh, we probably wouldn't even have any uh, any attention whatsoever right now if it uh, hadn't have been for our county manager manager writing up a letter of our concerns and calling attention to our crisis, and she had sent it out to various of our various ones of our elected officials and stuff, and they just all blew it off. Nobody even answered her or paid any attention to it until uh, we decided to put it on Facebook and, and it went viral and it called a lot of attention to the problem down here. And we got people that actually uh, came and looked and people like you that have done research on it and figured out, well, lo and behold, we got a real problem down there. Uh, these folks are not safe. They they have a legitimate complaint down there and so that that has helped that we have some people that actually understand our problem but the frustrating part is uh the people that control the assets the people that that have the money for programs that could help us out like helping us maintain roads and and uh make the area safer you know, we we haven't been able to to get the funds. Yep, and and um, you know, it must feel very frustrating that you have very small strings to work with, and you know, it's not like I said, it's not your county's fault. It, your county has the resources to deal with what you need to deal with, and 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 the quality of life that your residents want and the services that they feel they could handle on their own whereas in other parts of the country they these people would feel that they need more things but you know international border problems are out of your hands for good reason and uh you know we're just not doing it by the way i just want to break some news here um some of you might be those of you who assiduously watch my twitter account will know i'm tweeting about this now as i'm on air here but 
my friend, Congressman Chip Roy, along with Congressman Mark Green, he's a new guy from Tennessee, terrific guy, Tennessee's 7th Congressional District, they they just circulated a letter um, to their colleagues, and they're going to send to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo requesting that the State Department designate the Mexican cartels as FTOs, foreign terrorist organizations. That would free up a lot of DOD resources to combat the cartels. Because again, you know, the big problem is we always look downstream. We look at migration and drugs as if it just kind of, you know, flows in the air. It just comes out of nowhere. It's not. It's all orchestrated by these brutal organizations that are subverting our sovereignty, have operations on our soil, um, traffickers well into our our, uh, interior, away from the border. So um, that is good news. And we're going to try to raise awareness that um, I don't know if you have any comment on that, you know, uh, Joel. I just wanted to announce that because you know the hope would be you could bring in more DoD resources to directly counter the cartels. Then sounds like a good thing to me. Yeah, I mean, because that, that's what we need. Well, you know, th- this is a military problem. Um, you know, if Border Patrol is going to deal with immigration, then you know someone's got to deal with the cartels. So, um. You know, and again, they've they've really we've had a lot of experts on this show talking about how they've made quantum leaps from being just run of the mill drug cartels to being global violent entities, and that's pretty scary when you put that thought together with you know someone having a house and a ranch with nobody around for miles, um, and you're just out there. And, you know, to, to me, it would be one thing you have kind of urban crime if you would put those fears in a setting where you don't have anyone around, which is kind of unique. But when you have international cartels operating there, um, again, I think what you're saying is you know, with media not even going down there, and I know I owe you guys a trip so I could actually see it firsthand. I don't think anyone where I live, because I could tell you, I live in the state of Maryland. There is nowhere in the entire state where you have something like that. You have remote areas, but remote means that there's no one around you, but you could travel a certain amount of time, and then you do get back into civilization. Um, Here, you travel a certain amount of time, and you're still not back in civilization. And then even when you get to that, it's a village of a few hundred people. Is that correct? That's correct. And and I do want to point out that these people are well-equipped that are coming in. They have uh, the top technology that is available. Uh, the mules that transport the drugs, they have GPSs. Uh, they have all kinds of uh, communication equipment. They have the most modern uh the AR-15 rifles, uh, they're well-equipped. And I've talked to ranchers down here that have actually had cartel members that have come, sat down at their table in their house uh, to do business uh, with ranchers and make them actual offers that they have a sack full of money there or a case full of money and say, uh, I got the money here. You guys just turn your head and, and let us 
do our business, come across here with our drugs, uh, it's all yours. You know, they've actually made offers to them. Uh, these are dangerous people, but they're also business people, you know, and they're going to do whatever they got to do to keep their their uh, business flourishing. Now, the people that have uh, given me these examples, of course, you know, uh, they did not take them up on it. They just told them, well, I don't want to be involved in that kind of stuff. And and they just blew it off, you know, but. They could have taken them up on it if they wanted to be rich people, and they could have made a lot of money. And but, there are areas in the border where this is going on in Texas. I um, imagine there probably is. You know, in the Rio Grande Valley, and that, that the politics of the area matters. I mean, your 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 area, the ranchers aren't like that, and you know they haven't been uh, co opted or you know just having these problems. But what I would imagine, based on what you're describing. You know, they're not going to commit criminality and certainly don't want to. But once you have someone do that, you're going to think twice about reporting them. Not because of the money, because you're scared. Yep. And so that's what, what people, like people in your audience, need to understand. One of the reasons you don't hear a lo- whole lot of particulars and specifics uh, about this situation is people are just scared to talk about it. They're scared to point it out because they're right there vulnerable. And they're down there where they don't have a lot of protection. Um, they protect themselves, and that's pretty much what they have right now. So that's why it's that's why it's an important issue, and that's why we're trying to call attention to it, and that's why we'd, we'd like to have some help with resources to take care of this kind of stuff uh if we have the resources to spend billions of dollars on welfare for illegal aliens that come across here illegally uh why can't we spend a little bit of money to where our own citizens can have a safe and quality life wow yeah, that's <laughs> that, that's I, that's very profound because it's not just in general illegal immigrants that we're spending money. The resources they're putting in Hidalgo right now are oriented towards caring for them and the catch and release programs. And eventually all they're, they're being sent to El Paso and eventually they're they're released with the ones with families, which is most of them now. Um, you know, so why can't like you're saying you're bringing up an important point I never thought about. You're using those roads to process them and basically you know to put it a little bit harshly complete the criminal conspiracy of the cartels actually the end goal of their desires to go and process them into our country and eventually release them but certainly while caring for them and giving them their needs well why can't you in the process give the county more money to repair those roads then (laughs) that's what i'm asking that's the question i'm asking you know, because there there are some of the families that have to use those same roads uh, that the Border Patrol uses and chews up. Some of our citizens have to use those roads to come to town to buy groceries and and come for their medical appointments and and different business transactions that that they need to do in town. And so it's only right that the federal government 
help us out with those roads that the federal government is using and in some cases destroying, uh, it would only be fair that they help us out to fix them up where they can be used. No doubt about it. And um, I really thank you for telling over your story. There's so much more to talk about um, on this issue, but we've went long. I know you have a long day ahead of you working it from the inside. We're going to keep raising awareness from the outside. Um, we're going to try to get people down there because, again, the center of gravity in this country is around Washington, New York, as we call the Acela Corridor. So their their brains cannot imagine that even if you could conjure up the effects of illegal immigration in the areas where they live, it's magnified by a factor of, of 100 in, in an area like this, both in terms of straining of services and in terms of safety and security from the criminal elements. So um, really thank you for for spending the time to give just such firsthand information to my audience that they're not going to hear anywhere else. Um, that's what I seek to do. And I certainly thank you for helping co-host today. Well, I certainly want to thank you for having me on. And just one other interesting little thing that I'd like to mention, we do have a group of uh, cowboys from our state that are uh, riding horseback on their way to Washington as we speak, and they're right out there in your area right now, and you might give them a tip of your hat whenever you see them. Well, you know what? I'm going to go look into that. I want to make sure we we could give them some uh, publicity um, and send it around on social media. Thanks so much for that tip. There you have it, folks. That was Joel Edwards, County Commissioner of Hidalgo County, New Mexico, with a firsthand account of the effects of illegal immigration, the cartel activity in his area, stuff that unfortunately the media is not giving you. And that's the thing. We don't get the truth from anywhere else. Notice how he wanted to be exact on everything. You know, there was a lot of news about the flesh-eating bacteria. I've referenced that it before. It's been in all media accounts. And he actually says he found out it really wasn't that. It seems like it was something else. I didn't exactly understand um, what it was. But what he did confirm is that they are getting scabies and tuberculosis coming into their tiny clinics. Unbelievable. So we're going to continue to have guests on like this. I know in the process we're missing some of our other typical programming, um, but I think this is important. I know you guys love it. Heck, you probably like having guests than hearing me drone on. Um, but we'll we'll get to some of this stuff. I am telling you, with the ACLU and others now suing on the emergency action, if you watch the direction where John Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh are headed, don't think for a minute that we're going to even win these things in the Supreme Court, much less the problems with the lower courts. We need continue to, to have that problem, and we need to fight that, raise awareness to the fact that the courts don't have this power. That and more coming up later this week, as well as some more special guests. So tune in to the Conservative Conscience for your one-stop shop on true, important conservative news that matters to all Americans. God bless you all. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.